Dungeon Masters. I'm Milo. I'm Hannah. And this is our third episode. Uh, we Woo! actually have some questions to answer this time. So yeah, we wanted to talk about the topic of pets in D&D. It's something that came up pretty recently in our session, and then I know it's something that's come up in other campaigns, and I want to just kind of like give a perspective of how we do it in our game. I want to give a little perspective from a DM uh, point of view of how I handle pets versus how I handle familiars. And just kind of talk a little bit about the pets that we've had in game, because I think that they're all pretty fun, generally. Um, we've had such good pets. <laughs> There's no such thing as a bad pet. I think there is. I mean, objectively, I think we've had pets that have been, like, annoying and kind of detrimental to the party. They've just been really fun. That's true. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, so starting it off, I usually allow my players to, like, buy pets or acquire them through travels. Um... Usually, if they're acquiring them in their travels, it's something a little more exotic and requires a lot of training. But as long as the player, like, is willing to kind of do that, I let them have it. Uh, my rule is just that, like, I am not going to hurt your pet. Just keep them out of combat. If you have, like, a mount or something, that's where things can get a little bit tricky. But I'm not going to go out of my way to hurt your pet. I know some DMs are kind of shitty about that. It does seem weird. It's like, why are you punishing your players for wanting to enjoy things? It's just exactly. like, pets can just be off in the side, especially if they're just, like, small. Like, yeah. I don't understand. Like, your pets aren't playing the game, so why are they being punished? Like, if you don't like pets, don't allow them in the game. Don't kill them. That's shitty. Yeah. So, like, for instance, uh, Nisa started the game with a snake. Yes. It's just... The snake is always there, but I'm never targeting the snake in-game. It doesn't come up during, like, combat, and so, like... She lives on my arm, but you can just hit me in the other arm. Yeah. It's just never been an issue before. Yeah. Versus, like, familiars generally have a little more action. They're doing things like scouting and stuff like that. But also, and also familiars, like, like, can't you just dispel them and, like, bring them back in? Like, if they get quote-unquote killed, can't you just resummon them? Yeah, it just takes, like, some money. And yeah, time. like, there's really no penalty to that, especially if they're giving aid. I think that's the thing. If a pet's not helping you, you shouldn't be able to hurt it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point of, like, if your pet just kind of vibes, then it's fine. It, it doesn't have to be an issue. Yeah, if your pet is, like, voluntarily entering combat to assist you, then I think it's fair game. Although I still, like, wouldn't go out of my way to target a pet. Yeah. But, like, if it's just chilling there, I don't know why it's relevant. Like, all you're just doing is making your players mad. Yeah. I feel like the only animal that I have sometimes killed in my games are horses. Just because, like... I mean, that does make more sense. Like, just because there's mechanics of, like... You know, we're teaching our horses dressage, and, like, if you fuck up real bad, they might hurt themselves. Or if we ever use them as, like, mounts, well, then they're part of combat. Like <laughs> They trip on a rock and have yeah, to put down. Horses are, like, so shitty in real life. Like, if they stub their fucking hoof or whatever, you have to put them out. So it kind of makes sense. They're also easy to acquire, and usually people don't form super strong attachments to their horses. Yeah. Like, they're just more utility than anything. They're fun to name. They are fun to name. <laughs> Would you like to talk about your horse? My horse's name is Sir Fitzroy Maplecourt. I love him <laughs> very much. I'm teaching him dressage, and he will be my war mount. <laughs> and yeah. he actually likes me. I like Sage's horse. I feel so bad. Sage's horse just has zero interest. Um, I also like bringing pets in from a perspective of, like, I think I've almost always had a druid in the party. Uh, our last campaign, our druid was notoriously off 
awful with animals, though. It was though, so funny. Because he had a very low charisma, and also I think he, for whatever reason, had a low animal handling score. I think so, too. Um, so, like, he would attempt to talk to animals and just roll very badly. The one time where he didn't was with a basilisk. I was just gonna say that, like, ironically for the person who's really bad with animals, that his pet ended up being, like, the most dangerous, mm-hmm. theoretically really hard to manage animal. And she was so cute and nice and everyone loved her. Yeah. Those pets were very chaotic. <laughs> she had... Did she ever get goggles? I know at one point she had, like, a blindfold. I feel like she might have gotten but I know she definitely like had eyewear the yeah. whole time. First, I think we got her goggles that were like specifically colored yeah. so that she could still see, but we wouldn't be affected. Yeah. But yeah, so like that was, um, I think one of the most fun like ones to just like Chris finally got a win. He finally got uh, one animal to like him. Stole my basilisk. <laughs> that was just a good like. That was a good situation for pets, too, because we were just on a boat. Yeah. So it was nice that all the pets could kind of roam free because we had the basilisk, and then we had the bird that we taught to square. Yep. And then uh, we had the tassel oh. worm. What was Taffy? Taffy, yeah. Taffy the parrot, who we taught to swear, even yep. though Sage was trying to teach him, like, helpful words, <laughs> and we were just teaching him how to say fuck. Yeah. And then my... I. I love peanut butter, the tassel worm, even though he stole everything from the ship. Yeah. Look, you have basically a fantasy ferret. That, like A fantasy, like, 12-foot-long ferret is the problem. Yeah. It got so big. <laughs> so cute, though. I'm honestly kind of sad I didn't get a tassel worm this time. But realistically, would have been way harder in, a like, a ground-traveling campaign. That's true. Yeah, and then this campaign, I straight up put in a pet store that I, like, I gave a variety of, like, normal pets, knowing that they probably wouldn't go for them, uh, and of course not, everyone went for the We didn't even pets. ask what was there until nope. after we'd already purchased our exotic pets. I put a newt. Well, okay, fuck your newt. <laughs> we all got way better things, I'm sorry. <laughs> so let's see, so we ended up with someone got a displacer kitten, mm-hmm. that that one's gonna be fun to train. Who got that one again? Is that Lucy or is that That means the cat's gonna leave. I'll have to see which one she got because I don't remember because I remember that there was like some discussion about Because there was the whole thing with like the displacer beast and also the um fuck what are the dog ones called? The blink dogs and how they don't get along and so we couldn't do that. Yeah. I think it was no I think it was Lucy because Sage got was it the owl? No, the griffin. She got a griffin. That's right, she got a griffin. So yeah, the displacer kitten then would have been Lucy. So we got displacer kitten, we got a griffin. What did Arya get? Uh, Arya got... Oh, the dire wolf pup. Dire wolf pup, and then Ellie and Arden both got little fairy dragons. Yeah, Which are very, very cute. And those are going to be fun, because those are actually intelligent. No, I know, because Arden already talks with the dragon. Yeah, because Arden has the ability to speak Sylvan, so... I thought it was also... Isn't it telepathic as well? It's telepathic, but the languages it knows are Sylvan and Draconic. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So, I actually... I think that Karen speaks Draconic, too. Oh, but, well, then it works out either way. Yeah, but, like, it's gonna be interesting just kind of seeing how they, like, interact. And I could see that one becoming a more of a potential in combat, since it has, like, magic and things but like that. that makes sense. And then I got my little baby fairy blue jeans. Yep, so I included a homebrew uh, thing that I found for, they're called 
fungus bird flounder ferrets. They're so cute. Imagine like a little green ferret with like little mushrooms growing on them. They're so fucking cute. I saw it and I was like, that's adorable. I'm putting that in my game. You also just rolled really well for that ferret so that everything that I like presented to her, she really enjoyed. She's just like the most friendly, well-behaved, playful little ferret and I love her a lot. She's baby. She's really baby. And I got to name her Barry. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see kind of like how everyone bonds with their animals and yeah rip uh lucy having food leaves the game because now that means that like there's not gonna be a displacer kitten in the party maybe we can talk her out of it we'll see <laughs> or we can let her leave the kitten as, and then just give it to her new character maybe i yeah. wouldn't be opposed to that <laughs> So let's see. So we've got those. Uh, Fu also has a mimic that, like, she captured a baby God, mimic. Speaking of cursed things that you find when you acquire a pet out on the road. Yep. That whole situation, like, a mimic as a pet is one thing. A mimic as a pet that you acquired in a situation where a player or a character almost died is very cursed. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I find it just so funny that, like, it's not even that, like, Gregor was taking a lot of damage. He just got stuck in a hole. <laughs> Well, the, the real problem is that we tried to force blast him out of the hole. Because <laughs> no one in the party is strong. No, well, that's not true. Isn't Fu strong? No. Is Kieran not strong? Not really. Oh, I don't know. I just feel like, I don't know. I think both of them are more dexterous than strong. So they may be like okay in strength, but it's definitely not their strong suit. I think for me no it was... Unintended. It was less about the strength modifier and more about the fact that I didn't want to walk up to a bunch of mimics to pull someone out of a hole. That's fair. Like, I don't want to get attacked by a mimic or also dragged into a hole. You know, that's valid. So, if I could have done something more than just Eldritch Blast, <laughs> I would have, but that's where I was at. And so you started blasting. So I started blasting. <laughs> Uh, let's see, what other part, like, party members? Oh, we have uh, Jorge McCrackle, yeah. who is a lightning lizard, which looks like a little tiny velociraptor, and just like produces a little bit of electricity. Mm-hmm. He's like three inches tall. And then we have Charlemagne the Squirrel. Yep, Charlemagne the Squirrel. That's the druid's uh, pet. And then I kind of consider Wormy like a pet. Yeah. He's... <laughs> Mostly just because he just hangs out in the same way that my snake does. Yeah, he's just kind of vibing. Yeah. I mean, I don't have to feed him or take care of him at all, besides just having conversations. But he kind of feels like a pet a little bit. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, in the campaign that I'm playing in, my wizard has a familiar... Uh, he's a red-tailed hawk named Gerald. Oh, that's cute. I love him. Familiars are a really cool concept, and I would love to have a character with a familiar at some point. Yeah, it's definitely, like, really fun, uh, just because, like, they actually have some, like, utility, and, like, yeah, like, they can die, but you can just bring them back. It's, like, ten gold. Oh, yeah, that's gotta be easy. It's hard at, like, lower levels, Mm. but, like... I was gonna say, like, especially if you make your character just, like, design them to have some money when you start, and then you never have to worry about it. Or if you're, like, uh, Kermit and all, always broke. Well, I was just thinking about that. Like, especially in campaigns that you run, it really behooves people to start the game with money because you put a lot of, like, cool stuff in our paths. Like, pretty much every town we go to, there's some form of, like, magic, like, items and weapons shop, or there's, like, cool clothing, or there's pets. Like, there's a lot of opportunities to buy stuff in your campaign. Yeah. Which I don't think is true of, like every dm but it definitely behooves people to have money in your campaigns <laughs> or else you'll end up in severe debt to other players yeah a little bit. <laughs> it's a good thing i don't charge interest on that 600 gold debt 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, like, that's the thing of, like, it it helps to have money. It helps if you're like, hey, I kind of want this new thing, or, hey, something of mine got lost, I need to buy some more. In our defense, the only reason why half the party was rich was because of the way the party got split. Yeah. And that you were very, very generous with the party fund. Yeah. Uh, because we would not have had enough money to buy, like, anything otherwise. <laughs> That's fair. But, I mean, like, I feel like y'all take on, like, big challenges that give big rewards. That's true. This is a very, like, bounty-focused campaign. So yeah. we do have a lot of money-making opportunities. Which I feel like is very different from a lot of other campaigns where you're just kind of traveling around, like, scrounging for what you can find. Yeah. We are in a situation where we make a lot of money. Yeah, and when y'all go to register as an official, like, adventurers, like, uh, group within the guild, you'll have a lot of money-making opportunities there. Oh, cool, yeah. And I so, like, about that. you'll be able to take on, like, not necessarily bounties, but, like, there'll be, like, similar tasks. Yeah, like, granted. guild jobs. Yeah. Granted, there is a portion of the job that goes to the guild, but, like, that's still gonna be, like, you have basically certain protections of. Yeah. Even if you are unable to complete it for some reason, you're guaranteed at least a portion. And, like, you're guaranteed, like, sometimes, like, they may give you a stipend if you have to travel, or, mm -hmm. like, they may give you, like, you may be able to get, like, certain, like, um, just, like, little benefits, stuff like that. I feel like registering as, as a party will be very good for our group. <laughs> yeah. We definitely go through money very quickly, so it'll be beneficial. Yeah. And it also kind of gives y'all a little bit more opportunity to really kind of make a name for yourself. With that, let's go on to our first question. Do we want to do that one or the poem one? Uh, either one. They're both so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, so both of these were sent in, uh, actually by another player in our group, Lucy. Um, who likes to ask some very interesting questions. So, we have, can a beholder dream of a god beholder? <sighs> and I think that where this is coming from, I'm not super up to date on beholder lore, but I think that that's kind of how they come into being, is like they create things through dreams. Interesting. So, I really don't know anything about beholders either, just that they look cool, and that like most quote-unquote villains in D&D, they're very xenophobic. I don't yeah. know why. That's just, like, a very canon thing when you're looking through, like, villain profiles. They're always xenophobic. I don't know why. It's just, like, you can be evil and, like, not a racist. Yeah. I would say probably yes, in the sense of, like, I think it's more of a question of, like, can a beholder be a god? I guess it doesn't really matter, right? Like, because you can dream about things that can't actually exist. So yeah. if you can dream about anything, yes, you can dream a god beholder. Does that mean it really exists? Not necessarily. But does it matter? Also, you probably could make a like a like a god beholder. You can make anything into a god. This is a fantasy world. Yeah, that's why I'm like a lot of my deities. Like some of them appear humanoid. Some of them specifically are not. One of them's a kraken. Yeah, I can't imagine that there would be any reason that you couldn't. I guess besides the fact that like maybe beholders don't like gods. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I don't. I feel like I don't know enough about beholders. Okay. I'm I, I couldn't find anything about dreaming, but I do think it says a lot that the whole thing of, like, beholders believe that beholders are the superior species and that they themselves are the superior beholder. So I guess, would that not make every beholder a god? If a beholder dreams of a god beholder, would it not just be them? <laughs> you know, that's fair. And I feel like beholders inherently 
so like um warlocks can like have a beholder as their patron it's like they inherently have like enough power to be considered a deity they may be they might be considered a minor deity the way that i typically do gods is they gain power through their followers and that's where the line between a patron and a god kind of blurs is how many followers so i would say in theory you could have a beholder become a god if they gain enough of a following they also it also says that they have the ability to shape reality through force of will so that i don't know yeah. like it kind of feels like they are kind of gods in a way yeah so it feels like they should be able to dream about gods yeah they also yeah they like collect creatures to be their minions i don't think there's anything about them that wouldn't be god-like yeah that's fair they're also very paranoid apparently ah fair I mean, I guess that makes sense if you're in any kind of, like, position of power. Most of a beholder's mental activity is devoted to unearthing plots against itself, real or imaginary, planning attacks against known rivals, and pre preparing its defenses against all possible threats. You know? I don't, yeah, these kind of just sound like gods already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like I really, I don't think I've ever put a beholder in the game. You should. They seem kind of fun. I know, I might have to look into them a little bit more. There's also just, like, so many cool things that are either, like, homebrew or just, like, stuff that you don't actually find in the monster manual. So, like, sometimes, so, like, since Lucy's doing, like, a big deep dive into, like, D&D lore, she'll, like, ask me questions about things that aren't in the monster manual. I'm like, I have no idea. Ooh, here's an interesting thing. Okay, this is about eye tyrants. Okay. They're solitary beholders that have suppressed their xenophobia and paranoia and choose to live as a leader or ruler of a community or organization that includes other creatures. Hmm. Sounds like a god! Sounds like a god. <laughs> I, think that, I think that means yes. I think beholders can dream of gods. Yeah. <laughs> and let's see. Our next question from Lucy is, Can a lich cast true polymorph on a box, turn it into a phylactery for themselves, and then turn it into a tarasque? I think you're going to have to explain three words in this yes. sentence. I think you need to explain what a lich is, what a phylactery is and what a tarasque is yeah. okay so lich you have a powerful usually wizard i think it's just maybe any arcane caster but usually i think wizard that then goes through a sort of necromantic transformation separating i think the soul from the body to allow themselves essentially immortality yep. and just a lot of power um, fucked up yep and in separating the soul from the body there has to be something for that soul to go into which is the phylactery uh, basically, destroy the phylactery, destroy the lich. That makes sense. Um, but I think it's also something along the lines of, like, the phylactery can't be, like, a magical idol. Or there, there's some rules to it. Um, and then lastly, Tarasque. Tarasques are... Fucked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, basically, imagine Godzilla on steroids. I forget, what is the challenge rating of a Tarasque? Yeah, it's fucking crazy. Which goes into part of this question of why you cannot true polymorph anything into a Tarasque. Because it's, like, too powerful? Because transforming an object into an animal or a creature, I think the max challenge rating is 9. Oh. That's actually higher than I thought it would be, to be honest. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -mm. Uh, so, like, you could transform it into something else that's large and, like, powerful, but not a Tarasque. Nothing above challenge rating 9. Is there anything... What is the highest challenge rating? Is it 30? I think so. I think the Tarasque is the biggest thing out there, at least in, in terms of, like, the actual just classic monster manual. There may be, like, expansions or new things like that that, like, are bigger and badder. Uh, Interesting. There's also probably something homebrew out there that's just 
I mean, you can homebrew fucking anything to be any challenge rating. Yeah. And, like, that's the thing of, like, Tarrasque is already ridiculous. It's already, like, you can take a level 20 party and not be able to kill it. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense. Because, <laughs> like, that's where the challenge rating comes in, is what level would the party need to be to have a party of four stand a chance against something? There's also, like, a whole thing, too, of, like, I, I was looking this up about challenge ratings. It doesn't it also, like, involve the, like, EXP system that no one really yeah. uses anymore. Because I was trying to calculate challenge rating of, like, an encounter that we had in our other group and, like, if that was fair for what level we were at. And it was kind of hard to figure out because we don't use XP. <laughs> yeah, that really is, like, kind of a hard thing. And so, like, it's also just, like, challenge rating sometimes seems very arbitrary. Yeah. Like, you'll have things that's like, oh, this is a challenge rating one, and yet this party of five, like, levels, like, five characters almost died. Like, it shouldn't be possible. Yeah. And yet... <laughs> Because, like, the Revenant isn't a super high challenge rating, and it almost killed, uh, like, Lucy. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, I guess challenge rating is kind of arbitrary, because there's so many things that go into an encounter that, like, put one side at, like, a crazy disadvantage. Yeah, especially if you bring in, like, a legendary creature that may have, like, layer action and things like that. If you, like, have certain party members with, like... Like, wild magic can really, like, make things weird. Because yeah. some of it is helpful and some of it is detrimental for the party. Mm-hmm. And so you have all kinds of things that could be happening. And especially if you have multiple things that are being fought at the same time. Yeah, I don't know. I, I am glad that we don't use XP, I have to say. Because I know that gets into a whole thing of, like, some DMs will unequally dole out XP to, like, different party members because, you know, obviously everyone is, like, doing different shit. Yeah. But that would suck if, like, you were in a party and half of you were at different levels. Yeah. That just feels kind of fucked up. Yeah, like, that's the thing of, like... Because, like, I guess in a typical setting, EXP is given to whoever kills the monster, which just leads to murder hobos going around fighting and being wanting to, like kill the thing first. That's also very, like, just luck of where you stand in combat, because you could be the person who deals, like, 95% of the damage to a creature, and then someone else deals, like, the final 10 hit points, and then just, like, that person should not be getting the EXP. Like, if anything, I feel like EXP should be doled out by, like, what percentage of damage you doled out to a creature. Yeah. Like, so if you dealt, like... 30 out of 50 HP damage to a creature, you should get 60% of the EXP. Yeah. If you're doing it at all. Yeah, the way... So I actually used to do EXP when I was running 3.5. And what I would do was I also gave options for experience that weren't combat-based. So I would come up with all kinds of puzzles and have basically a massive sheet written down of if a player does this, they gain this much EXP. So, like, finding, like, a trap door or something, like... Anything like that, solving a puzzle. Right, like, contributing to, yeah. like, being helpful. Did and you notice that your party was, like, pretty equaled out in EXP by the end of it? Yeah, so usually people were pretty, like, equal. Um, also, what I did for combat, instead of making it whoever dealt the final blow, is I would take the total experience of, Sub-tibian. like, all the monsters destroyed. Yeah. I mean, that makes more sense. Like, if you're, it's the same way as, like, how you get gold after doing something. Yeah. Not everyone contributes equally to a task, but if you're all working together as a party, you kind of deserve equal payout. Yeah. And so I feel like that's kind of a more fair way to do it. But I also just, I really enjoy milestone leveling. I feel like it makes it really easy to plan as I'm kind of going along of, okay, 
by com- after completing this test, like, y'all have earned a level up. It also just feels really satisfying. Like, it's yeah. nice to be like, okay, after we finish this dungeon crawl, we get a level. Like, yeah. it's a good motivator, and it actually feels like a reward for what might have been a very difficult, like, set of sessions to get through. Yeah. And it's like, of course, like, you're not going to get, like, a level up after, like, everything that you do. Mm-hmm. But, like, I think that, like, kind of culminating an arc results in, like, a level up. I think that makes sense. Except for at the beginning, because I do think you need to kind of level up quickly at the beginning. Because, yeah. like, your level one and level two party members are so fucking useless. Like, I don't know what things you can throw at a level two character. Yeah, that's why I usually don't even like starting at level one. I'm like, we're just going to start level three. In my other group, we started at level one, but literally it was, like, I think it was after, like, two sessions, we leveled up to level two, and then, like, two or three later, we leveled up to level three. So, like, now we're up to level five, and it actually feels like we're at a good place. Yeah, I feel like once a party hits kind of, like, level five, like, that's, like, where you're no longer, like, anything can kill me. Yeah. You actually have enough HP to survive an encounter. Yeah. I mean, anything below level three makes no sense anyways, because for most classes, level three is where you pick your, like, class thing. Yeah. So it doesn't even really feel like you're doing anything into level three, because you don't get to pick, like, your guild, or your, like, specialty. Some of them get a level one. Warlocks, uh, clerics, things like that. That's, okay, fine. Fair enough. (laughs) I know that guards and rogues get it at level three. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, I think that that's also, like, just a good starting point in general, because it's, like, at that point, even new players feel like they're able to do stuff. Whereas if you take, like, a new player who's never done D&D before, and you give them a level one character where they can't do much, they die super easily, like, I think it can be pretty discouraging. No, yeah, I totally agree with that. Unless you really are, like, leveling up quickly. Yeah. Did we ever answer the question? Oh. uh, (laughs) We got really distracted by Trasks. Basically, I would say... They could turn a box into a phylactery. They cannot turn the phylactery into a Tarrasque. They could turn it into something else that's big, but not a Tarrasque. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, because I also realized I don't think I actually explained really what a Tarrasque, like, does. Oh, yeah. Uh, basically, there I mean, you did say Godzilla, but bigger. <laughs> yeah, cause let, let me grab my monster manual to read off some of this, because it's insane. They're very fucked up, and if I ever have to encounter one, I will cry. <laughs> I will say, there's one in someone's backstory. In the party. Well, I know it's not mine. <laughs> you know, I guess that's fair. <laughs> I know everything that I need to know about my backstory, and that it's go- that you're going to fucking kill me. <laughs> I mean, you might survive. We'll see. God, you're so mean. <laughs> it, it hasn't come up yet. It will eventually come into play when y'all. It's because if are it ready. came up now, we literally would get killed by it. Like we are, we as a party are even at level what are we seven? Yeah. We are not at a point where we can take that on. Oh yeah, yeah. So let's see. So a Tarrasque is ridiculous. It's got an AC of twenty five. That's awful. Uh, six hundred seventy six HP. Awful. It's got a speed of forty. Awful. So, like, it can run, it can chase down most party members, except for, like, maybe, like, a barbarian or a monk. Um, it's also got a strength of 30, so it's got a plus 10 to its strength. Holy shit. Its lowest stat is, of course, its intelligence, which is a 3. Okay. Uh, it's also got a constitution of 30. God damn. It's immune to fire, poison, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magic weapons. Cool. It's immune to being charmed, frightened, paralyzed, or poisoned. Cool. It's got blind sight to 120 feet. Fuck. (laughs) 
Um, it can it has three three legendary resistances. So for that, it can choose to succeed a saving throw instead of failing. Well, three is so many. Ugh. It's also got advantage on saving throws against spells and other magic effects. Which, when you consider the fact that it can't take any damage from non-magic. How the fuck do you kill that thing? That uh, seems impossible. You need to have, like, the best magic weapons, like, ever. It's got a reflective carapace, so anytime the Tarrasque is targeted by a magic missile spell, a line spell, or a spell that requires a ranged attack roll, roll a d6. On a 1 to a 5, the Tarrasque is unaffected. Cool. On a 6, the Tarrasque is unaffected, and the effect is reflected back at you. Jesus. So literally, magic missile doesn't, doesn't hurt it. A line spell or a spell that requires a ranged attack roll can't hurt it. That's that's a literal nightmare. Uh-uh. Yep. Um, it's also considered a siege monster, so it does double damage to object and structures. <sighs> um, and that's all the things that can't hurt it. This is not even going into its attacks yet, which, like, it, one, of course it has a multi-attack. Uh, yeah, why wouldn't it? Uh, so one of the things it can do is it uses its frightful presence, so any creature within 100... Sorry, each creature in its, of its choice within 120 feet of it and that are aware of it have to succeed a wisdom saving throw or become frightened for one minute, DC 17. Oh my god, that's such a long time. Yep. Um, it also makes five attacks after that. It makes one with its bite, two with its claws, one with its horn, and one with its tail. Uh, if it's already bitten someone and has some grappled, it can then, it, it can instead of using the bite, it can swallow instead. Please never, ever, ever put this in a campaign. I will cry and I will leave the party. <laughs> and for reference for its attacks, it gets a plus 19 to its attack. Um, some of these have ranges of... So the so let's see, the bite and, and horns are 10 feet ranges. Claws are 15 feet and tail is 20 feet. Um, and then, of course, the swallow can be done on anything that's a large creature or smaller. Fuck, man, that sucks. And while it's swallowed, you're blind, um, you take 16d6 acid damage at the start of each of the Trask's turns. Oh my god. It also gets legendary actions, of course. Right, and that's three, right? Yep, so three legendary actions. Attack, move, or chomp, which is two actions. Chomp allows a die to make a bite or a swallow attack. Great. So it can bite and swallow then, like, on the next turn. By doing it as a legendary action. I don't like this. I don't like this at all. Yeah, because literally, uh, with the bite, if the target is a creature, it's grappled and the DC is 20. With that being said, imagine a pet Tarrasque. The possibilities are endless. An unstoppable party. (laughs) Literally, yeah, it would be unstoppable. But yeah, like, it's believed that there's only one of these creatures ever in the world at a time. Huh. How does it come into being then? Um, and how does it actually says produce? Let's see. Uh, Fifty feet tall, seventy feet long, weighing hundreds of tons, carries itself like a bird of prey. <gasps> Basically, big fucked up chicken. Oh man, I don't like birds. <laughs> um, the destructive potential of the Trask is so vast that some cultures incorporate the mantra into religious doctrine. Legends tell how it slumbers in its secret lair beneath the earth, remaining in a dormant state for decades or centuries. Uh, when it awakens in answer to some inscrutable cosmic call, it rises from the depths to obliterate everything in its path. I don't, I don't like that. Yeah. Uh, based on that, I would say it probably reproduces asexually. I guess it would have to. Yeah. Probably just lays an egg, then dies, and when that egg eventually hatches... Fair enough. Yeah. 
But yeah, they're they're fucked up. Uh, I will not throw one of those at y'all. I just started looking for like the most powerful uh, like creatures. The next one down is a CR twenty five. Yeah, which is kind of crazy to think about. I've also never even heard of this, and I don't. Is it a marut? A marut? Yes. I'm also not familiar. I don't know. It's like a mechanical thing. It's a mechanical construct. Then you have ancient red or gold dragons at CR 24. You have a kraken at 23. An Empyrean? Yep. They're giant celestial things. Ah. Also at 23. Ancient silver or blue dragon at 23. A lot of 23s. A lich is, a lich is 22? Yeah. Wow. That's really powerful. And then ancient green or bronze dragon at 22. A Zaratan? Zaratan? I don't recognize what that is, although it looks a little bit like a turtle. I think, yes, it looks like a big turtle. At 22, an Astral Dreadnought at 21. That's yeah. fucking horrifying. Yep, those are terrifying. They're big boys. That's why you don't travel the Astral Sea. Yeah, that's totally fair. I don't like, I don't like these. I don't like these things at all. Yeah, understandably. I don't want to fuck with anything. A lot of those you will probably not encounter, like on their own like you will probably there will be something happening in the world that causes one of those didn't i just get your head out of my water (laughs) there will be something happening in the world that causes one of those to cross your path yeah um granted i mean like dragons make sense but we're trying we're not trying to fight yeah y'all have encountered a variety of dragons none of them ancient thank god we would get smoked yeah i think that the ones that y'all have encountered were young dragons yeah they're the younger adult they the i think the one we killed was young yeah well like the ones that you've encountered and not killed I mean. oh yeah yeah the like uh silver dragons i can't right. remember if they're adult or if they're young i don't remember either regardless dragons can get pretty fucked up but they can also be very helpful because as with all intelligent creatures you may sometimes be able to make a deal i do like making deals <laughs> yeah but yeah so Thank you, Lucy, for your questions. At the same time, what the fuck? Keep sending us more, though, because I like these very random questions. They're fun to think about. I know. Please send us more. And yeah, anyone who listens, please email us. Uh, We'll, again, state the email at the end of the podcast, and it also can be found in our podcast description, I think. Um, But yeah, please send us more, and you may be able to hear your questions on the the podcast. Milo really likes questions. (laughs) I do, because partly it also gives us, like, a lot of topics to talk about that we may not have thought about before because there's only so much that we can initially plan but if we get questions it can be like oh yeah we can definitely talk about that we can definitely like go into that it is a good jumping off point for sure or at least a good tangent that's true we do we do enjoy our tangents i mean what is a conversation if you actually have it all the way through without (laughs) getting distracted by something else i thought you were gonna say what is a question if not a tangent what was a conversation if not a tangent i mean technically technically (laughs) Everything can be a tangent. <laughs> uh, yeah, so in that case, uh, we will be moving on to having Dionysus roll our d20. Um, but for people who want to send in questions, the email is dungeoneers2dms, so the uh, number two, and at, oh, at gmail.com. Yes. <laughs> Imagine if it was like at hotmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> at AOL. At Yahoo. <laughs> Send us your Yahoo answers. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Rest in peace. Um, oh, what is That's it? only a seven. Only a seven. <laughs> oh, well. 
so Dionysus has deemed this episode a seven. Oh wait, hold on. Hold oh, on. Oh, oh, oh no. no, it's under the couch. Hold on. My dice. <laughs> We're gonna a 16? Okay, so 7 plus 16 is 23. 23 divide that by 2. We're, we're looking at an average of like 11 to 12 for this episode. Yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll take, take that. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> okay, and with that, we will see you all next week. Bye! Bye!